Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. So excited to introduce our speaker to you this morning. She is a part of our evening class, and so many of you probably haven't met her, but I want you to meet her. She has taken the day off. She's a teacher, and she has taken the day off to be with us today. Such a gift. And last week, Sandra wanted me to remind you that she was the oldest person on our team and to give her grace. Well, Naomi wants me to remind you that she's the youngest person on our team. But I I truly believe, y'all, I'm not saying this, that, that these two bookends are the wisest among us. And so I cannot wait for you to, to hear what, what God has put on Naomi's heart to share. So Naomi, would you come up? This is Naomi Michelson. She's going to introduce herself to us as well. But I'm going to pray for her, and she's going to get started. So join me in prayer. God, we just praise your name. Wow, what have we done to deserve this love that you have lavished on us through your son? It's really amazing. We are just in awe. We worship you together. We lean in together to hear what you have to say to us through your servant, Naomi. Would you help her? Would you give her um, just confidence in what you have put on her heart? And would you help us to hear and, um, and understand what you would have for us in this lesson? We love you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, you on? Can you hear me now? Awesome. <laughs> well, good morning. I'm Naomi Michelson, um, and it's such a blessing to be with you guys today. I'm part of the Thursday evening study, so the, a lot of you are new faces to me. Um, so I do want to start with an introduction before we jump into Hosea. Um, so I'm introducing myself now, and I trust that later on you'll introduce yourself to me as well, and we'll get to know each other. So these are some pictures that are, um, this is my family, this is the Michelson family back in 2005, so I'm one of 10 kids, and four boys and six girls in my family, in that order, Um, it's a very big family, this is us as younger kids, this is us last year um, with my parents, and um, the great thing, y'all, about big families is that they just keep getting bigger, and so this is the family additions to the Michelson family. I now have four sister-in-laws, two brother-in-laws, seven nephews, one niece, and two more babies on the way. Um, so such a blessing. Um, the Lord has truly gifted us um, with family and family who loves the Lord. A few other things about me. I grew up in Tomball, Texas. So I'm not originally from here, um, but Tomball's in the northwest Houston area. I was born and raised there. I moved here um, for school in 2016 at UMHB. Go crew. Um, graduated in 2020, kind of right in the middle of the COVID mess, and decided to stick around in the area. And like Amy was saying, I'm a teacher, and I've been teaching for four years now. This is year four for me. Um, I teach here in Temple with second graders. And I live in Belton with my lovely roommate, Mary, and our two cats. We have Coconut and Camilla. I did not include them as part of the slide, but if you want to come see me later, I have plenty of pictures. I would love to show you. They're really cute. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's me uh, in a nutshell. But I did want to mention that part of my decision to move here, um, to stay here in Belton Temple area, Um, was the church. And so I wanted to say that TBC has been a huge blessing to me, this body of believers who's um, faithfully teaching the word of God and who is um, 
intentional about community and service. Um, all of those things were things I was looking for. So when I was graduating, thinking about, oh, I could go back to my family, I could go out of state to a different city, overseas, I could go wherever, because um, teachers are needed everywhere. Um, uh, the, the church was a big pull for me to stay here. So I hope that's encouraging to you. If you're new here, or even if you've been here a while, stick around. It's worth it. Um, God's going to really bless you through this community. Um, but that's a whole different message than what I came here to say today. So we'll, <laughs> we'll move on to Hosea. Um, there's lots more to be said about the blessing of biblical community. But we'll start talking about Hosea. If you have your Bible and you want to turn to it, Hosea chapter 2 is where we'll mostly be today some snippets. Um, it's also going to be up on the screen, and you should have a handout at your table that has the passages or the, the verses that we're looking at. So Hosea chapter 2, and as you're turning there, I kind of wanted to share my personal experience with this study in Hosea. Um, when I first found out that I was going to be teaching over Hosea, I was very intimidated as a young, unmarried woman. What kind of perspective was I going to bring to this story of this husband and this wife and this covenant relationship, um, I didn't really feel like I had much to say on it. <laughs> and I realized through this process of studying it that I had grown this sort of disconnect with the idea of being in a covenant marriage um, with God. And we so clearly see that marriage is a picture of God's relationship with us. Um, and those were truths that I knew and I accepted, but never felt like this personal connection with. Um, so if that's you and you're unmarried like me, or if you've had a bad experience with marriage or you're currently having a bad experience with marriage, don't shy away from the idea of being the bride of Christ. It's such a beautiful truth, and I've, I think my eyes have really been open to it throughout this study, and so I hope that's encouraging to you too, that um, sometimes our worldly, our human marriage examples aren't always a picture of what true marriage looks like. So um, that's kind of my personal take on what I've taken away from this. Um, but we'll jump into God's word. So I wanted to talk about Hosea. I think the book slash Amy doing her introduction weeks did a great job of explaining where we're at with the context of Hosea and kind of the history. So I won't spend too much time with that. Um, but I did want to remind you that Hosea was the last book written to northern Israel right before they're sent into exile. So they're about to experience this harsh judgment of God. And Hosea, a lot of commentators or theologians refer to Hosea as the deathbed prophet. That's because he's making this plea to them. He's giving this warning of what's to come. And he's telling them to turn from their sin and pursue God, who they have this covenant with. And so it's this, you see that throughout the book, this passionate call for repentance, um, as with most of the prophets, but specifically Hosea because he's right before the exile. I thought that was important to note. Um, so who is Hosea? Hosea is a prophet who God calls. He's not only calling him to go and share a message, um, but also he's calling him through the way he's supposed to live as a living sermon to show that message through his life. Um, so in chapter one, we see that God calls Hosea to marry Gomer. We know that she's unfaithful to him. She commits adultery, whoredom, and shameful acts. So this devastation in their marriage is redeemed and transformed in a powerful reflection of the way that God transforms and redeems us as his people. So we could go, we could go a lot of directions with this. We could study all of Hosea. We could delve into 
where Israel is sinning against God and their shameful acts. Um, and that's what the later chapters of Hosea go over. It specifically lines out his, uh, or Israel's relationship with God and how he's coming to judge them. And that in the end, we see the restoration. Some of the things that, ho- that we learn about Israel is that there's no faithfulness there. There's no knowledge of God. Bloodshed is following bloodshed. They're committing adultery, stealing, murdering, breaking commandments, and dishonoring God in all of these numerous ways. So that's really lined out in those later chapters. But where we're going to spend most of the time this morning is in chapter 2, looking at God's response, or I'm sorry, Hosea's response to Gomer, which shows us God's response to us as his people. So the first response we see is that the husband is pleading with his his wife to return to him and stop her sinful ways. You see this in verse 2, if you'll take a look at it. It says, Plead with your mother, plead for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away whoring from her face and her adultery from from between her breasts. So, we can tell that this is not the first time that she's getting this message. Hosea's been making this plea. He's even going here, he's telling the children to go tell this to your mother. It's gotten to a point where he's not even in communication with her. We see that there's this distance between them. And he's pleading, warning, this is what's coming. Um, But the same thing happens for us. When we're being sinful, God's going to make a plea for us to return to him. He's going to give us warnings of what's to come. But when we don't repent... He's going to use his loving judgment to bring us back to himself. So we'll look at four different aspects that we see here of God's loving judgment. Again, this is after she's received the plea, she's received the warnings, and this is the response of the loving husband and ultimately the response of God. So the first aspect of God's loving judgment that we see is frustrated desires. In verse 6, it says, Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her, so that she cannot find her paths. Gomer's continuing to try to pursue her lovers. She's going down her regular paths, and all of a sudden she's blocked. She's not able to reach them. Her paths have thorns, and they have hedges. Hosea, her husband, went out, and blocked her path in order to lead her back to himself. And God does the very same thing with us. We have to recognize that God's chief ambition is not to give you those things that you desire most. It's to give you what you need most. And what you need most is him. And what we all need most is him. So if the path that you've been pursuing, the things that you desire most, are leading you to thorns and to hedges, to close doors and to blocks, consider that may be God's way of protecting you and leading you back to himself. He may be putting those blocks in your life. Next we see the removal of blessings from her life and from our lives. And this comes from chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, and again in verse 12. It says, And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain the wine and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her, weight, her nakedness. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, 
These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall devour them. So Hosea has been very generous with Gomer. She'd received bread, water, wool, flax, oil, wine, silver, gold, vines, and fig trees, all from her husband. He was very generous with her. But then she turns and completely perverts his blessing. She takes the blessing that she'd received and she attributes it to her lovers, and she even uses it to offer up to Baal, this false god. And we could spend a lot of time here talking about Israel's response to God and his lavish, lavish blessings that he's given to them. Um, and they had squandered them and misused them for false gods as well. And we see a connection to our own life as well. God will remove the blessing if it becomes a distraction. Every blessing that we've received, we need to recognize, is a gift from God and is to be used for God. It's for his glory and to serve him that we receive blessings. And he has every right to remove those blessings, and he will if they're causing us to stumble. So my questions there are, do you recognize where, or rather who, your gifts come from? All of our gifts are from the Lord. Do you recognize the purpose of your gifts? Um, That they're to be used to serve him and to bring glory and honor to him. And lastly, are the blessings in your life causing you to respond in worship to the Lord? Are they hindering you from the Lord? God can remove those blessings if they're becoming a hindrance. The next aspect we see of Gomer's um, story here and of our story is sin uncovered or sin exposed. And this comes from verse 3 and verse 10. In verse 3, 3 is where that plead and that warning is coming hey, this is what's coming. And then in verse 10 is where it's carried out. So verse three says, lest I strip her naked and make her as, the, as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. And then verse 10 is where it's carried out. It says, now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. So Gomer can't hide anymore. Her sinful acts are on full display. Her indecency and her lewdness and her vulgar vulgar sexual activity is completely uncovered. She's stripped bare, she's stripped naked, and she's made like a wilderness. And here we see how God allows us to feel the full devastating effects of our sin. I want to be clear here. This is not something that God created or bestowed upon her, this evil, this ugly This is God removing his hand in it and allowing the natural consequences of her sin to be exposed. That's where the ugliness comes from. Um, But ultimately, that view of the ugliness is what leads to redemption. So it can be really easy for us to downplay or gloss over our sin when we feel like it's out of sight of others. No one's seeing it. It's not happening. It's not real. We downplay it. We don't believe it to be true. We put on an external facade as if everything's okay when it's not. Um, But when sin is exposed, it can be really painful, really ugly. Um, But then we see our need for the Savior when we see the true ugliness of our sin. So my questions for you here are, has this been your experience? Have you been left exposed and allowed to feel the full and devastating effects of your sin? 
Have you seen your sin for what it is? Have you seen your need for the Savior? And if not, pray and ask God to expose sin in your life. Not for the purpose of you feeling like a failure, of feeling this shame. Don't get stuck in the shame. Don't get stuck there. But turn from your sin so that you might repent and experience the freedom that we can receive in Christ's sacrifice. So the last aspect of God's loving judgment that we'll see here is isolation. That comes from verse 10, so we'll read that again. It says, Now I, I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. Again, Gomer has been left completely alone here. No one's there. No one's there to rescue her from judgment. Her lovers, whom she used to be in relationship with, they've seen her for her true self, for her ugly, sinful self, and they no longer want to be with her. Um, what we learn here is that if you're walking in sin, God will allow you to lose everything and everyone you know so that you will turn and repent to him. Especially, and I, see, I think we really see this in the case of Gomer, especially if the people that you're around are causing you to go further down that sinful path, God's going to remove them from your life. And it can be really painful. It can be really lonely. Um, have you experienced this? Has, have you ever been completely stripped of everything and everyone that you know, been utterly abandoned? Do you know that that's where God is with you? That you're not alone? Even in your lowest of lows, he's there and he's ready to forgive you and to show you grace and love. So that's kind of the process of loving judgment that we see in Gomer's story and that we see in our own story. Um, and those, if we're being honest, those truths can be really hard for us to hear. They can be really harsh. They can seem really harsh. Um, and it's not the way we normally like to think or talk about God, right, as judge. But through this process of judgment, we learn that God's judgment, which is leading us to repentance, is the most loving thing that he can do. Through this, we learn what true love is. So let's talk about true love. True love does not just leave you to pursue your lovers, your fleshly desires, or your sin. True love rebukes sin. True love takes sin seriously. God rebukes sin to save us from those devastating effects of sin, and to draw us closer to himself. So while, like we said, this process can be painful and ugly and uncomfortable, true love is willing to do some hurting in order that there might be healing. So we recognize, as it says in verse 7 of chapter 2, it says, I will return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than it is now. She had to go through that process of hurting to recognize that it was better for her then that she needed to return to her first husband. Um, I did want to talk about how this is wildly different from society's claim of love. Society claims to be loving by being accepting of everything that people are, by encouraging people to seek their truth and to pursue whatever passions, whatever lovers that you desire. Um, but we know that all of those things are sinful and that they lead us away from the Lord and so that's not a picture of what true love is. So don't let society define love for you. Society is going to give you a wrong picture, but let God's word and who God is define love for you. And that's where we get our idea of true love. So to wrap up, I wanted to talk about 
the who, what, when, where, and why of this loving judgment. Now, we've spent a lot of time looking at the what, right? What does this process of loving judgment look like? Um, but let's talk about the who. And while we're talking about the who, I got to tell you another little tidbit about myself. I really love studying grammar, kind of a nerd in that way. Um, back in my homeschool days, my siblings and I would all be diagramming sentences together, and they just absolutely hated it. I was thriving. I loved it. <laughs> Finding the different parts of, speech, parts of speech and learning how sentences work together was really fascinating to me. And now I get to teach it, which is really fun, too. Um, but with that, as I was reading through chapter two, I began to notice this theme of there were a lot of action verbs. And a lot of those action verbs were coming from the husband. So when I asked myself, who's doing all this doing? Why are there all these action verbs? It's the husband that's doing these actions. There's actually a total of 30 action verbs. I'm not going to read them all to you, but I did want to read a few just so you get this picture of this action that the husband's taking. It says, some examples are will hedge, will take, will uncover, will punish, will allure, will speak, will remove, will betroth, and will have mercy. So it's very clear to us through that, that in this really beautiful picture of redemptive res restoration, the, ex the, the one who's doing all the work, doing all the action, is the loving husband. And we know that for us, the one who's doing all the action is the Lord. If it were up to us, we would never experience that, right? We can't redeem ourselves. If it were up to us, we could not fight our sinful desires. We'd be completely overtaken by them and stuck in them without hope. But we praise God that it's not up to us. Um, the unfaithful wife, she didn't come back to her husband on her own, but she was pursued by him the same way that we're pursued by the Lord, by God. So that's the who. God is the who. <laughs> Let's talk about the when. When does this happen? Do I have to wait a few weeks? Do I have to wait a month? Do I have to fix up my life before I can experience this? But I have some exciting news. That is not the case. Um, the answer is today. Today is the day of salvation. As we so clearly see throughout Scripture, um, don't try to put off this repentance. Don't try to fix up your life before you come to the Lord. You're going to try that, and you're going to try that in vain. Just repent and turn from your sin today. Whether that's for the very first time or whether it's for the 100th time, 1,000th time, the Lord is ready to forgive his adulterous bride, and today is the day for that. Next is the where. Where is this happening? Um, the answer to this one is also simple. The where is right where you're at. There's a little snippet in verse 15 of chapter 2 which says, He will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And the Valley of Achor, it's a fascinating story, I won't get into it, um, but it's where they would have known it, the Israelites would have known it as a synonym for trouble. Achor means trouble. So this Valley of Trouble that the wife is stuck in is right where the husband goes to make for her a door of hope. Often the most messy situations lead to the most beautiful and hopeful stories of redemption because the Lord's pursuing you in your mess. It's not you're trying to get out of your mess and then seek the Lord. He's there with you in it. So we've talked about the who, the what, the when, the where. Let's talk about the why. Again, pretty simple answer, but it can be really complex in how we understand it, right? Um, it can be really hard to grasp. The why is because he is God. 
God's love for us is a complete mystery in so many ways. Um, and it can often seem illogical to us. Like, why in the world is this husband chasing down his wife after she treated him so terribly? Right? She'd left him to pursue these other lovers. She'd brought him disgrace and took the good gifts that he'd given her and perverted them. But the reason that he does this is because he loves her the way that God loves us. Um, so the answer is because God loves us. But then the question still remains, why does God love us? It's because he does. It's not because of who we are or anything that we've done to deserve that love, but it's entirely because of who he is. He is loving and he has chosen to love us. So we've talked about all of these things. What's our response going to be to them? Um, well, it's an absolutely marvelous thing to be loved by the Lord. Um, we should respond by first seeking to know him and draw near to him. The more we know God and recognize and respond to his loving judgment, um, we don't seek after those other lovers anymore because we've experienced the only love we could ever need. Um, so lean into your love and knowledge of the Lord um, so that you can fight those sinful desires. Second, get to know yourself in what ways are you living like this adulterous wife? In what ways are you pursuing sinful desires? And ask God to expose that sin to you. And then, when he calls for repentance, when he calls you back to himself or shows you judgment, respond by repenting and turning from your sin and experiencing that restoration with him. Lastly, and there's a lot I could say on this, um, but get to know others the story of God's redemption with his people should give us such hope. There might be somebody in your life who you see in this story. Um, somebody in your life that's pursuing sinful desires and they seem so far down that wrong path that it seems impossible that they could ever return. Um, and it would be impossible if it was left up to me, you, them. For us, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Don't lose hope for those people. Don't lose hope for their life. God can redeem and restore even in the most messy and devastating circumstances. Sometimes we focus so much on asking God to remove mess from people's lives. We'll pray and we'll ask, man, God, just take that messy thing out of their life, right? But maybe we should change our focus to be asking God to meet them there in the mess and reveal himself to them that they may be pulled out. Um, we need to be well, ready and willing to be used by God for the redemption of his people. Hosea was called to be a living sermon. Are you ready to be called to be a living sermon, to live this out in the life of someone else? And lastly, if you've seen yourself at all in this story, my plea for you is to stop running, to stop making excuses for your sin, stop justifying it, lay your life down before the Lord right where you are and watch as God meets you there and he's going to lovingly guide you back to himself because that's who he is. He is good and gracious and loving and kind. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for this truth that um, you've revealed to us. Thank you that you are good and gracious and loving and kind. Thank you for our week spent studying Hosea. Thank you for the ways that you've shown us your redemptive restoration for the ways that we've experienced your loving judgment, Lord. We know the truth that Christ has defeated 
death and sin on the cross, but yet we're still battling with our flesh. We're still battling with sin. Lord, help us in that battle. Continue to, continue to bring us back to you when we fall away. Um, and we hope and we trust that you will do all of these things, Lord. In your name, amen. Would you guys help me in thanking Naomi? She's going to be right down here. I really want to encourage some of you to come up and and get to know her. And um, I hope you have a great week studying Micah this week. You are dismissed. Am I off? Great job. Thanks.